0: Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live.
1: Folks, welcome to Dystopian Times. I am not in my usual set. Uh, Because we had we had a little bit of a problem with the chair that I was using it was a bat killer and now that I'm a boomer I have to be as comfortable as possible so I'm in the regular studio, uh, but I still feel like I have the vibe going I've got the unicorn which is the most important aspect of the set Um, and and folks I just want you to know that um, being here right now is a sacrifice um, to my well being because I am under studio lights that is uh, cooking me more so than the weather is. So right now on the Pacific in the Pacific Northwest it is over a hundred degrees. it's like 104 where I am and there are going to be times where my brain might like leak out of my ears throughout the course of this stream. It's a good thing that um, you all will be totally understandable. So if I don't make sense, just know that my brain is is melting. Uh, But folks, regardless of how hot it is, we are here, and this is going to be the best show of this series yet, because I have a phenomenal panel here. So first, folks, I have the individual who I think is probably the face of Means TV. I'd like to think that I'm the face of Means TV, but it's indisputable that the individual who is the true face of Means TV, the host of Means Morning News. Folks, it's Sam Sachs. Sam, welcome. Welcome.
2: Hey Mike, thanks for having me on. You knocked me out of the top five of hottest guys on means TV. uh, (laughs) I'll still come on your show.
1: Well, hey, I didn't know that I was in any top hottest guys list. So I mean, this is truly like, I'm really happy to hear that. (laughs) Well, folks, the next individual who I am bringing on, you might have already sensed who this person was if you're feeling a little bit of a demonic presence and also, uh, you know, a motherly presence. Well, that's because I have Demon Mama here. Demon Mama, welcome. Hello.
3: Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm so excited to have you on. I love the uh, beautiful dog picture behind you. I, I watched your Stardew Valley stream the other day, and I've got to ask you real quick, Demon Mama, uh, Stardew Valley or Animal Crossing?
3: Oh, I like... Well, okay. I haven't played Animal Crossing to a great degree.
1: Oh, Valley, so I'm going to boot you. I'm going to boot Valley you. Now. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, it's fair. I, but the cool thing is I have a Switch. So okay. I will be playing
3: it in the future. I love Stardew Valley, though. Um, also, if you use the petting machines, stop. Stop. Auto petters, get out. Auto petters, <laughs> get out. That is the type of automation I do not stand for. <laughs>
1: Well, when you start Animal Crossing, uh, we will have to visit each other's islands on, on stream. Oh. And I will give you uh, one of the dick shirts that I made in, uh, in Animal Crossing. Sick. Yeah. Please,
0: me the
1: <laughs> All right, folks. Well, the next person is one of my favorite people, one of the sweetest people on the uh, entire internet. I am a little bit butthurt because this individual decided to rip me off, copy the dog cam that I introduced to the world on Twitch. But nonetheless, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to see this person's dog. It's Lance from the Surfs. Lance, welcome.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to finally be on Dystopian Times Live.
1: Yes, it's it's a long time coming, but it's it's really nice to have you on, and yeah, thank you, Lance.
4: Is well, this like is this like a game show? Is it going to be
2: like that British one? I hope like, so. You know, mm. We, can turn, we, we um, can turn it into a game show.
1: We we can turn um, it into a game show.
2: You're going to give out points that don't matter or mean anything.
1: Yes, I, I could I do, do that. that. I could give away prizes that are hilarious, like uh, Dave Rubin's book. That's what um, <laughs> I I won on. The Serbs TV uh, show. So, yeah, definitely. I actually,
4: I actually have your copy of the book right there, by the way. I just haven't shipped it. But I can pull it out to prove that it exists.
1: I would I would love... Look, I've been looking forward to this, Lance. And I feel like you're denying me the joy of reading Dave Rubin's book. So, um, it'd be nice to have that. Just, just saying, Lance. I'm just... No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, all right, folks. The next individual is riding high right now. Aside from the fact that they're being cooked because they live in the same location as me. Uh, off of a really huge debate that was very useful to me because it stopped me from having a panic attack as I watched the Nina Turner Chantel Brown race Uh, I still had a panic attack actually but nonetheless I was a little bit more distracted thanks to Vosh welcome to the show Vosh hello
0: actually tragically uh, Nina Turner's campaign team reached out to me and said the reason that she didn't win was because leftists were distracted by my debate with Charlie and uh, they Uh. didn't didn't turn out to vote so actually (laughs) that one's on me i'm sorry guys super bad planning on my part i live at least you're
1: owning up to it at least you're owning up to it blame vosh for nina turner folks (laughs) and by the way vosh thank you so much so when i went on your charity stream you recommended castlevania on netflix Mm -hmm. Uh, i binged that in like a weekend so that was a great recommendation it was very very good so thank you for that um so Folks, uh, I'm really excited to get started. Uh, Usually we'll start with like news stories, but I, I think it would be useful since we have so many brilliant people here. I wanna open it up to a discussion topic that's kind of been on my mind lately possibly because it's affecting me as well. And that is doomerism, uh, disproportionately on the left among younger people. So, you know, we saw Bernie Sanders lose in 2020. We just saw Nina Turner lose. We are dealing with, you know, a pandemic, a housing crisis, a student loan crisis. And every time you tune into the news, and if they're talking about climate change, which is fairly rare, but if we learn about climate change, it's always bad news. This week, we got the IPCC's uh, new report And it looks really, really bad. So my question to the panelists is, how do we keep people engaged amid all of the doomerism? Because the way that I kind of feel sometimes, and I don't necessarily vocalize this because I don't want to discourage people, but I kind of feel like nihilism is is a little bit alluring. And I always feel this instinct to check out, like every extra loss that we feel, you know, Bernie Sanders losing, Nina Turner losing, I always feel the instinct to check out of politics. And, you know, I fight that. But I know that young people, they also feel that urge as well. And so I try to find ways to keep them engaged in politics that are destructive, try to find ways to get them to channel their anger and disillusionment with electoral politics and capitalism. But sometimes I don't have all the answers and I don't necessarily think that there's a perfect answer. Hence why I kind of wanted to bring in all of the uh, wonderful people here. Lance, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what's the one thing that you think is helpful in trying to keep people uh engaged um and not just during election years but you know during off years like now it's it's such a an open-ended question so feel free to take it wherever i mean this is a lot
4: yeah well i was hoping i was going to be like the third person (laughs) so i could jump in there and be like and by the way the corporations want you to be sad that's how they win don't give in to their so i'd sound powerful but instead i'm going to be like uh well um, take some time, please, to uh, log off. Like everyone, yes. people use that as an insult, uh, but you know, sometimes it's nice to, uh, you know, touch grass, touch ass, touch sand. Uh, <laughs> touch Sand is, sand is coarse and all that kind of stuff. But it does it does help with the mental health. Um, in terms of what's going on, I'd say uh, maybe we should celebrate victories more. Uh, boisterously. I don't know if there's a better word I'd use for that because there are still leftist victories going on all around the world and and not just concentrating on Canada, the United States. But if you look at Central and South America, there has been some very good decided pushes towards leftist governments. I know they are problematic. I'm not, I'm not going to try and open up a whole other can of worms here and get us talking about you know uh, geopolitics going on around the, uh, the globe. But there are still there are more victories than sometimes people think. And when we just concentrate on the news itself, it's very hyper-commercialized to make us think, well, the vaccine apparently doesn't work 100% of the time. We were promised invincibility juice, and instead we're getting 97% uh, juice. Like, what the hell is going on, right? Uh, whereas there's, like, we can concentrate on the other good news. that places where mass vaccination is happening, like in British Columbia, the numbers are plummeting, you know, stuff like that. Sorry, I'm talking for a while.
1: No, no, I I think that that's, you know, that's a great start. I tend to focus on the negative. And part of it is, and and Sam probably has the same problem, you know, we cover the news, and almost all of the news is negative. Like, whenever there is a victory, I tend to try to over-celebrate it, but oftentimes it's difficult. Uh, Do you want to weigh in on this, Sam, because you're the other, like, news video person on the panel, um, and everyone else is kind of video-slash-streaming, but, you know, how do you, like... How do you deal with this issue? Because I'm afraid, just like with videos that I post and covering certain news stories, that it's going to turn people off to electoral politics and politics in general. And I'm trying not to do that. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Sometimes maybe we can use doomerism to make it some sort of a spark or be the catalyst that, you know, encourages someone to get up and get involved, perhaps join DSA or something of that nature. But how do you deal with this, Sam?
2: Well, it is tough. I mean, there is a thin line, I guess, between, you know, Doomerism and and false optimism and trying to figure out where to draw the line. Things are bad and and we have to recognize that and tell people that. I do think that there is a, a bit of a problem in terms of you know taking a bigger picture that people don't like to like Lance you know mentioned there are victories happening in South America, big victories, rewriting the, the Pinochet era constitution in Chile, mm-hmm. socialists coming uh, to power in Bolivia and in Peru. Um, and it it seems like here in the US, the the sort of doomerism popularity or the the notion that there is no left, you you hear that repeated a lot um in sort of leftist media circles, which is kind of odd for mm-hmm. someone like me who's kind of been paying attention to politics for 20 years and you know there was no left 20 years ago, I can assure you there's a lot more of something resembling a left today than there has been at any other point in my lifetime. And yeah, someone can counter and say, well, it's not like it was in the, you know, thirties. And, and, you know, when we had militant labor unions and we had uh, a labor unions, you know, a third of workforce in a labor union, sure. We're not there. And we may not ever get there, but that like, there is an entire left, uh, media ecosphere, there's a lot more organizing on the left than there's been at any time in my life. And a lot of, I mean, all of us are are here as a result of this new left space that's been created. I mean, when I first started doing this, um, I was working for uh, a guy named Tom Hartman, who is a progressive radio talk show host. And he was one of the few games in town, you know, 15 years ago, and I was working on RT with people like Abby Martin, and that was one of the few places that you could sort of get anti-imperial uh, leftist news content. And now there's just so many more sources. And I guess you know, a debate can be had of whether or not that's advanced our goals, but I think it has very much so. So people just joining politics, you know, with the Bernie Sanders run, I can understand how disappointed they are by things. People who jumped in seeing Dennis Kucinich as the best option for the left on, like, the wings of a debate stage being ridiculed, um, you know, there might be a little bit more optimism to the situation. But um, I guess there's a perspective here. And, you know, I, I bring that perspective and try to tell people, you know, what, I, what I'm seeing. But at the same time, this, the IPCC report and the situation with climate change and the, the, the enormous task in front of us it's 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 hard to repel the doomerism you just yeah we just have to lie and wait like for an opportunity i mean there's been doom throughout history for the left like it's a, kind of the default s- situation for us
1: yeah that reminds me of something that vosh said after super tuesday in 2020 um basically you were talking to your audience and i was i was tuning in and you told them look bernie sanders you know he got blown out this was before he was out of the primary, I believe." Um, And, you know, you were saying losses are kind of just like an inevitable thing. This is part of the process. And if you're going to be engaged in politics, you have to kind of expect this thing. You have to acknowledge that this is going to happen. And especially if you're a leftist, and I'm paraphrasing what you said, of course, this isn't verbatim, but, you know, if you're a leftist, you kind of have to expect that you are always going to be the underdog. This is the perpetual state of your life if you are fighting for the good thing. Um, and I've tried to like use that message, but, you know, make it my, my own, but I felt like it was really hopeful. Um, do you, do you have anything like to add with regard to that message Vosh? Because I felt like that was one thing that I tried to use to like keep my nieces and nephews who were like old enough to vote for the first time for Bernie Sanders engaged after the primary, you know, I'm. It, varying success, right? Some of them don't care at all anymore and they're, they're, that limited window is gone. But, you know, some of them are still engaged in politics. Like, what's your overall take on this? Like, what's your, what's your advice for the youths, Vosh?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, and I don't think this is exclusive to the left, but I do think it's a problem. I think there's an unfortunate narcissism in left-leaning activism mm. among some groups that reminds me a little bit of the logic of conspiracy theorists. If you set aside all the irrationality of a conspiracy theory, the underlying emotional core of it, is that there's some broad truth people accept but you're the one who knows what's really going on and you're part of some epic battle against the establishment that be and that ultimately all of this all this knowledge you have is part of a narrative where you are part of the underdog overthrowing whatever system and whatever they believe human on anti-semites they all have their theories um now of course leftists are the underdog in virtually every sense politically but our fight for civil rights isn't a narrative a lot of people get it in their head that like oh like in 2016 they realize oh my god you know you're right we are being screwed over by the oligopoly and then uh uh, uh bernie sanders makes them aware of this and then they get super doomer six months later when he loses and it's like you were you're you're an infant you've dipped your toe in this can you tell me any point in history Any group of left-leaning people who you would think, like, accomplished everything they wanted? Or hell, any group of ideologically motivated individuals? At any point in history, can you ever think, like, in all of human history, do people who get involved in politics ever die happy? No. We never do. So stop expecting that your life is going to be part of some three-act arc (laughs) where we overcome all the problems that you were made aware of in your lifetime, it's not going to be. You're going to set yourself up for misery if you focus on things from that narrative perspective. So don't. It's not, that's not how it works, okay? People, tens of billions of people, have died throughout human history thinking that they were facing the end times, uh, watching their civilizations collapse, their ethnic groups being exterminated, plague, ravaging their land, famine, drought. Sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. But the narrative of recognizing injustice and then overcoming it singly in your lifetime, it's, it's a fake narrative. Latching onto it will only worsen your mood in the long term. But there is a solution, and it's a very simple one, okay? Focus on yourself. Make yourself the kind of person who is good at advocating for the things you care about. That's what you need to focus on. Your day-to-day process, the thing that you adhere to, the thing that you base your mood around, isn't what you see in the news that day. It's how effectively am I acting as an agent for my own will. So stay happy, stay healthy, stay educated, and when the time arises that you may be useful to some service or cause, go for it. And that's what you should focus on. And if you do that, you'll be an infinitely better advocate for your ideals than somebody who engages in the opportunistic you know, uh, bandwagoning of, pitching a ride to whatever movement they think might have a chance at passing over the crest, realizing it won't, sinking into depression for six years, and then riding the next one. It is an ineffective and counterproductive cycle. Focus on yourself, and by being good to yourself, you can be good to the world.
1: Yeah, I love that point. It kind of goes back to um, Lance's point about, like, touching grass and whatnot. And I made this point a couple of weeks ago on my program. What Every not? once in a while... Um, we have to recalibrate, I feel like, right? And I think that's a great point, Vosh. You're kind of alluding to this idea that like we all in some way suffer from main character syndrome. I I mean, we're all podcast hosts and news show hosts. So certainly to a degree we experience that. But I think a lot of people visualize their like the beginning of their political journey as the start of all of politics when in mm-hmm. actuality you're jumping in and you're trying to continue a movement like uh, one thing that really bothers me is there's this sentiment that it goes beyond dumerism it, it really is disempowering where people will think you know what democracy in america is flawed therefore there's no reason to participate now is democracy flawed absolutely I think that we need to do away with the electoral college. I think that we need to end gerrymandering and remove our first-past-the-post electoral system because I don't want there to be a two-party system you know, perpetually. Having said that, though, democracy has never been like just this thing that you establish and it's perfect as it is. In the United States of America at least, I don't even think you can argue that we were a real democracy at the beginning, but as you as like you know we, we grow as a country, you keep adding to that project. like each generation in my opinion kind of like contributes in their way to democracy and further enhancing you know the democratization of the United States. Um, it, it's never perfect and, and trying to like stop people before they check out once they jump in, and trying to like change their expectations for the better so that way it's more appropriate. I think that's a really important thing. Uh, Demon Mama, did you wanna jump in here? Because I know that you, like, when I tune into your stream, you do a really good job at mixing up like very, very like, sad political issues, heavy topics, but then there's always this sense of like, you know, um, camaraderie between you and your chat and you know, you'll cool down with video games. And like, what do you think is like the best thing to like keep people engaged? Because basically this is my, this is my, my uh, thing here. I I get people like I'm the boring news guy and people tune in during elections. And once they're there, I try to, you know, stop as many people as possible from leaving and keep them engaged. But that's not necessarily something that, you know, I'm not going to have a 100% success rate. So in your opinion, like what, what do you do to keep people, you know, uh, engaged and stop them from, you know, being a political nihilist, I, this is such a tough question to answer, but like, if you want to share your thoughts just in general.
3: Yeah, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about increasingly uh, over the course of my career as a streamer and over the course of my involvement in politics. And I've, I've been interested in politics for a very, very long time. And I've come to this position where I believe in a very, I don't know, organic form of politics i think that um it's it's good and well for us to be informed on many topics to the greatest degree that we can you know and of course we have to sort of select select those carefully but i think one thing that there is a hunger for and that we're lacking is is connecting that in a real way to people's lives the the, the day-to-day moments of their lives uh, i think especially here in the united states like a lot of our politics centers around this like um these like checkpoints of like an election or uh, a bill that might pass, and a lot of times we spend sort of just like digging into the um, digging into the details of such a thing. When long after the fact, after we've cast our votes or or decided on our, our our representatives or whatever, and there's nothing really we can even do to touch that thing, I I like to focus, and I've been increasingly focusing on things that people can touch. So, and this is incre- incredibly true right now as we're talking about climate change and we're talking about um, COVID and some of these other just, I mean, they're dooms. They are apocalyptic scenarios that are so large that they're things that humans have grappled with through all of history. And I think that one of the ways that we do that is by taking the focus and, and, and turning it sort of, cl- uh, like tuning the focus a little bit closer to us saying, okay, so who am I connected to? Who do I know? How can I make sure that these people are going to be okay? How can I make sure that 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 my i don't have to, that i don't see neighbors starving that, or that my family isn't hungry what are the things that i can do who can i connect with that will help me lift myself up and that i can help lift them up and i think this is something that i've been in, like increasingly interested in one of the reasons why my my stream is so community focused and i focus on encouraging people we do community events on my discord all the time specifically for the goal of getting people to meet each other and build actual social bonds because and and It's limited. There's only so much that a content creator can do. A content creator doesn't. I mean, ideally, doesn't run like a church or anything like that (laughs) or a movement. You know, there's there's only a certain level. But people are shockingly alienated right now people are shockingly atomized they are they find themselves almost sometimes blindsided i know that happened to me where it's like the circumstances of life had me moving after a job after job and it's like suddenly i don't know anybody around me i don't know who do i know i could connect with people on the internet and then sometimes you connect with people who are near you and you can build these these sort of networks and I feel like that, like rebuilding these connections, rebuilding like material connections between people is just so incredibly important right now. And I've done two sort of big streams recently focusing on how we can actually do that. How do people visualize their relationships? How do people visualize their participation in politics? And I'm a little different in that I think, you know, I mean, I do cover uh, electoral politics, but I'm probably the most doomer on this panel about like the electoral aspect of things. It doesn't mean I don't think that you should vote or that you shouldn't be informed on it. I really, really do. But I I think that a lot of people get into the habit of watching things unfold when there are things that they could be doing in their life right now, even small actions that could be building a a better political foundation for the world that they want to see happen. Um, something that I think about a lot as like a small offhand example of this is something like gardening. Um, mm. And that seems like such a small thing. Um, but uh, but 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 learning a skill like that, a skill that can be shared with the community. If more people actually do that, they com- not just themselves, but their community becomes stronger. They're sharing a skill that can keep people alive. And if you can encourage people to pursue those types of skills, to talk to each other, one of the reasons why my Discord uh, has a a huge creative section that is specifically designed for people to share information about how to make art, how to make things themselves, how to teach each other, like how to use the tools that they're doing. The reason why I believe in that is because I think that people take those things off the internet and then they put them into the world and the world changes. It is a direct one-to-one thing. And I think that really is something that defeats Doomerism. I think that, We've gotten we've gotten into a state where we're very much politics is a spectator sport. People have heard that term mm. before, but it's, it's very much so um, when everything is deferred, when all of politics is sort of viewed as deferred across these big uh, life, you know, or these big milestone events of an election or whatever, when there are things that you could do to be making your your community, your particular political context, even if it's an online political context, stronger, more powerful, more capable of, it, of directly influencing the world around them. And I think that's incredibly important for defeating doomerism.
1: I I think that's a really great point because, you know, politics is everything. So you're not going to fully detach politics from your life, but you can kind of dissenter it and, and distract yourself, for lack of a better word. I think that that's really important because like for me, I got to the point where I would basically base my entire mood uh, on on the outcome of a political election and that's that's so unhealthy which is why i think that like lance's recommendation of touching grass and touching ass whichever you prefer if not both maybe um it really is important and lance you do a lot of good like um distraction streams like you do a movie night on the serfs um did you want to add anything to this because I, I think that's actually a really like you know constructive thing to say for younger people
4: um Uh, Yeah, I will add this, like, if you are actually Doomer about the current state of things, and I can understand why, like, keep in mind, what was the scene in 2016, like pre-2016, before... The bernie sanders runs right before everyone was galvanized before everyone suddenly thought that saying like oh I- i'm i'm a social democrat or i'm a democratic socialist was something that was acceptable at the dinner table and not something that would have your parents be like communist execute him or anything like that right like all of a sudden it was like everyone was talking about this and hey wait are we interested in theory and are we going to read about this stuff and now we're all united and and then there's this old man who's galvanizing all of us and, and he's getting us all excited about all these ideas that yes all the money is being funneled to the very rich and the working class are getting fucked over and we don't have any more unions anymore we don't have any more worker co-ops anymore and everything is fucking terrible and they're pointing the finger at things that don't matter they're pointing the finger every day at the immigrants so yes it's it's the people from across the pond that are going to attack us that's the real problem meanwhile the people who are fucking us over are right here and it's, it doesn't matter if it's in Canada or America so people can become united people can come together and get galvanized and do like I would say decisive action. We just need to be inspired and, and, and do something about it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think there is a, a a positive frame that you can put on the doomerism and sure there are, you know, people who, who use it for, you know, benefit to get views, to get clicks, whatever. Right. Um, but, I, you know, the, the sort like sudden rise in it, you know, it does reflect, um, people's expectations of what um, the government should provide for them and what sort of material interests should be met, people are getting this doomer feeling because their expectations have increased and their conditions have not increased. And the, the gap between those things is, is disheartening, especially, and not just in the near term and now, but especially in the future um, as you look at a world that's going to be changing due to climate change. Um, it's only gonna get worse. So I, like people weren't really despairing that much in, in 2010, I don't remember. I mean, we, we were, legislation was the debt ceiling stuff. That was what's going on. Um, and it sucked and but there wasn't this like it's kind of was like oh well this is just kind of the way it is this is politics in america there's no left there's democrats and republicans but i think that and it's not just bernie it was the material conditions on on the ground after the financial collapse that was never resolved and people just kind of getting eviscerated with you know not their wages not going up and having to fill out their credit card to make ends meet and then going into debt. There are all sorts of reasons and Bernie comes along and articulates these things. And I think a bunch of young people suddenly like, Oh, we can have better things. We can organize our society in a different way. And when that didn't happen immediately because Bernie wasn't elected. And even if he was, it wouldn't have happened. Let's face it. um, It, it, it turned into this like, well, well you're not meeting our expectations that have rapidly increased and, I mean, there's, there's theorists who have written about this Davies and other people of like how revolutions are started and stuff, but, um, I don't see a revolution anytime soon, but the fact that you're getting this, you have to, you have people's expectations of what society should look like have to be there. And you can look at the entire neoliberal project has been an effort to lower people's expectations of what the social contract should be, what government should provide to you. Um, and it seems like we're finally starting to like chip away at those ideas And start developing new ideas of what we're owed and what as citizens of the US of what our lifestyle should be like.
1: Yeah, that's really important perspective because things are different now than they were even it, things now that uh, you know are are being discussed weren't even discussed at all. Like Medicare for all, for an example. Like we don't have Medicare for all yet, but we have shifted the Overton window. Sorry. The, I, the, I healthcare, debate,
2: the, the healthcare debate in 2009, or when when Obama came in, was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Where you had people like Joe Lieberman, and Ben Nelson, who, as bad as Joe Manchin is today, and I can't stand the man. and mm-hmm. uh, Ben Nelson and Joe Lieberman were the foils and they were far, far worse. You wouldn't see these mm. guys advancing a three point five trillion dollar uh framework, I guess it is right now. We'll see what it is at the end of the day. So
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I think you I I, I, I I
3: just had a little bit of a different perspective. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't I think there's a little bit of a delay. I apologize. If you want to go first, go for it. Oh,
0: sure. No, I'd be happy to. But then yeah. Uh, I just want to say I think the main character syndrome hit it on the head. Um, I think that there's a, like an incredible degree of counterproductive self-centeredness. Like, imagine if you could anthropomorphize the history of American progressivism. You somehow had some 250 year old organism who was responsible in all ways for all progress made in this country. Imagine like from the perspective of that individual watching somebody enter politics in 2016, and then like after two years of being involved, be like, ugh. This doesn't work. Nothing's gonna work, and then drop out. It's like, okay, we would have nothing if everyone yeah. throughout history had had that attitude. I mean, nobody ever gets clean wins. If all the union organizers back in the beginning of the 20th century had been as willing to give up because of the seeming insurmountability of their opponents, then we would have nothing, and our workers would have nothing. I mean, they had bombs dropped on them. We have people, and I don't want to get into this. Isn't like a millennial sensibility thing i think a lot of it is just that we don't have a very strong existing infrastructure for a willingness for 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 sort of a, a means of effective engagement that mm. and i think people are more and more making politics their personality uh which is problematic it, for a number of reasons not the least of which is because the needs uh, uh, uh towards change in a political system and the needs to define yourself as a person do not always coincide. And when you try to make them the same thing, that's going to lead people to make personality-driven political decisions and politically-based personality choices. And both of those can Mm -hmm. be really, really destructive. Um, Politics is slow, arduous, gradual, messy, and often counterproductive. Personalities are the fanciful whims of whatever you think you are at the time. And that's great, and that's how it always should be. But there's not much personality to be had in yep politics is slow struggle and we're just going to keep at it for decades and decades enjoying small victories and suffering small losses forever like that's not people don't like that it's not exciting so people Mm want to get involved almost to a parasocial extent with the political happenings of their time period and it just leads to people making really bad decisions yeah that's
1: a great point uh demon mama did you want to jump in
3: yeah, I actually have some some sort of disagreements with uh, with both Sam and, and what Vosh has said here. So, okay, the, the first one that I was going to respond to was uh, the idea that like people have asked for more and then gotten less. I actually don't think that's true. I think people have asked for less and still gotten less. Um, I think that like the the average like and this is somewhat anecdotal, but I would I would love to see like, like a broader scale look into this. Um, but I think that people have been lowering their expectations. I think when I, I remember when I was younger, most of my peers were like, yeah, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a house someday. Nobody thinks that now the people I know, even my peers, some of my peers who were doing well, sometimes feel lucky to have an apartment because of how rough things are right now. So I think that people have continually lowered their expectations and found that the answer is still lacking. Um, when it comes to politics, there's this, there's this like sort of trite saying, but that I kind of like to keep in mind, which is, "Do not wait to strike until the iron is hot, but make it hot by striking." And I think that 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 is a good way of looking at politics. I think a lot of times we're sort of lulled into this um, constant waiting, waiting period. We're waiting for this. We're waiting for this. We're waiting for this. And um, that's one of the areas where I sort of disagree with Vosh a little bit. I don't really think that um, you can separate. Personal and political in the same way. Like political movements are often very inorganic or, or very organic and very messy. They are sometimes flashes in the pan. Sometimes the energy that arises is like almost unpredictable. Like we have with something like uh, like the George Floyd um, uh, like protests and stuff. Which and and they're going up against a system that is very cold and and calculating. But the thing is that we don't always have to wait on that system and. Uh, and again, that's not to say that there's no need to participate in in, when the chance comes to vote. It's just, there's all this time and all this energy in between. Um, something that has really shaped my outlook on politics was living through a couple of disasters. Um, when I lived in California, before I started streaming, we lived through one of the worst wildfire seasons. I mean, only now surpassed by this wildfire season. Um, and we had our power just shut off, like One day, we just got a letter or we got a phone call and they said, hello, your area has been selected for a power shut off in order to prevent forest fires. Uh, There's nothing you can do about it. You can't contest it because it is, the state has given the power to the power company to make that call and they did. And then our power was gone. The, The power for our entire town was gone and nobody was ready for it. We didn't have power. We just lost, I couldn't watch streams. I couldn't research anything. I couldn't do my job. I just, and there was no recourse the only recourse was to try and solve the problem and to to and, and we ended up like talking to our neighbors we ended up like finding out who had a generator we ended up like actually solving issues that arose when that when that like infrastructure was taken away at last and we didn't wait for anything no aid came we never got aid from the government we never got aid from any of the polit- local political parties that aid just didn't come and when COVID hit here in Seattle, where I live, um, I was involved for a long time with this incredible mutual aid group that's like organized by some anarchist collective, and it was incredible. And they did that exact same thing. They there was no there was all of this fighting back and forth in Congress. All of this, you know, is the money going to come? Is the money going to come? They put up a Google web a Google sheet, and they orchestrated. At the last time that I was working with them, which was some time ago, admittedly, I know that they've raised a lot of money three hundred thousand dollars worth of groceries and groceries delivery to people who were were so in need of food that they were searching Facebook for groups that would be able to give them food. This wasn't like a party that was giving food to its members. This was people who were running, who were out of food, and they were looking for it, and they put food into the mouths of those people, giving those people another day to live. I think. That changing our focus to that sort of politics, a politics that can be can be a bit a bit more uh, accepting of people's sort of personal weirdness and their personality and their organicness, a uh, a politics that is willing to engage with that at face value, without judgment and move forward with that organic assumption built in, I think is very, very powerful. And I I think we should focus on that more personally.
1: I, I kind of see common ground not to be you know a fence sitter here between you and vosh i I think that there's common ground on that particular um statement because i do think that you know your your personality i think there are some benefits to that being linked to politics but i do see how it can become something that's problematic if i mean maybe perhaps it depends on the personality i mean we can all think of individuals who are very problematic personalities on the left um who I, i won't name but You know it it just kind of depends um on the situation and perhaps the personality but vasha i'll let you weigh in on that
0: oh no i just think that um i i just think that in a lot of ways you know um we should treat our political engagement with the kind of steadfast um and tenacious involvement that we would say a job uh, not that to say that we need to commit eight hours a day to it or anything like that but that as a, as a part of our interest in and willingness to contribute to a broader collective goal um, we make it something that we care about we treat it as such and we do so with some degree of seriousness but we do so with the understanding that the responsibilities we're taking the the effects of our actions, they extend beyond just us. They're not just a reflection of our personal willpower, our personal wishes. I'll give you an example, okay? Biden. I don't like Biden. I've never liked Biden. I didn't like voting for Biden, but I did vote for Biden. Uh, if I had considered a vote an extension of my personality, a reflection of my personal interest and identity, then I would have simply not voted, or would have voted for a third-party candidate or something. But I don't. I consider it a stark and utilitarian choice about who is the least terrible person who has a shot at being in there. So I cast a vote for Biden. A lot of people turn it into this big identity thing, that they're not the sort of person who would vote for Biden, or they're not the sort of person who would look at what's going on in the world today and continue to invest time and energy into it because things are going so poorly that it's easier, it's emotionally easier to just withdraw. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're withdrawing. They're saying... uh oh, this just doesn't work, it's never going to work, we're doomed, you know, they kind of just want to cross their arms and smirk as everything else falls apart, you know? I think this is a horribly (laughs) counterproductive attitude. There are people who have done a lot of good in much, much, much worse circumstances than what we're dealing with today, you know? I mean, obviously, I'm a live streamer, so I've got nothing to complain about, but even, like, broadly, left-leaning people today in this country probably can't hold a candle to what the left felt back at the beginning of the 20th century, Or how the left felt back during World War II. Or, like, for example, when America refused to take Jews that were being sent out from Germany prior to their execution, you know? Like, imagine how being a leftist must have felt at that time, you know? Like, seeing all of that happen. It's always been a process of suffering. But they still did good work back then, you know? So, if all of them, they'd thrown their hands up, Ah, nothing but a revolution will fix this. We never would have gotten anything. But that is a very personality-based decision. It's a product of an emotional fallibility, an over-emotional investment into what's going on and a need to withdraw to shelter your own emotions. That's why after Bernie Sanders lost, I didn't have much of a problem endorsing Biden right after. It's not because I didn't love Bernie, because I wasn't disappointed, and it's not because I like Biden. It's
2: because it was never about how I felt. So it was an easy choice for me. I mean sort it sort of is. Right. I mean, voting is sort of how you feel. I don't I don't I don't think I take that view where people who, you know, didn't want to vote for Biden somehow put their personality above above what was good for the country at the time, because you know, I it gets it treads awfully close on on scolding powerless people on what they should be doing oh, sure. in a system that does not provide them any options. And has completely eviscerated them. So, and ultimately, like the people who are sitting on the fence or didn't want to vote for for Biden because they're too left of Biden is a very insignificant portion of the electorate, and not really driving any of the bads. Or their lack of participation isn't really what's responsible for what's 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 the engine of destruction that's happening.
0: No, but that's kind of a deflection, I, right? Uh, it's, I mean, it's Sorry, a significant portion of the left. The discourse about Bernie or bust or not voting for Biden was super present online. It still is super, super present online. Is it a huge part of the electorate? No, but we're talking about the mentalities of leftists here. And yeah, if a person thinks that not voting is a preferable choice to voting for Biden, I'm okay scolding
2: them for that. I mean, we're at the probably the, the sort of. And I don't know, maybe maybe there's more influence of that sort of sect of the left, but Biden still prevailed in the election despite, you know, their whatever, how many people held their nose up or didn't hold their nose up and chose not to vote. Um, Can I respond to that,
4: Mike?
1: Yeah, Lance, do you want to jump I was, in? Uh, yeah, I, I
4: just wanted to say that Sam, I'm totally on board with uh, a diversity of tactics. I think that's very, very important. I think that you should have people doing mutual aid, you should have people doing unionization, you should have people doing worker cooperatives, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of harm mitigation, I think that's also incredibly important, because if we don't engage in those kind of tactics, or even better yet, you know, try to get progressive or leftists into office, then we cede that ground to liberals and conservatives, and they dominate those arenas. And trust me, they are very invested in maintaining the levers of power, getting in there, making sure they stack the courts with judges making sure they stack the courts with supreme judges so it just haunts us for years to come so the left can't kind of like stay by the side and be like i'm going to do um like a fourth party or i'm going to do some kind of a I don't know i'm not voting just to show that i don't care about this process like we cannot let that ground simply be controlled by conservatives and liberals would be my point
2: well i'm, I'm not against i'm not saying people shouldn't vote i think i mean look i i mean i'm a, I'm a communist i i I don't think the Democratic Party is ever going to get us to a situation where we need to go. But I do recognize and I don't agree with people. OK, I do recognize that you can still improve the lives of millions of people by electing Democrats over Republicans in certain situations. And I don't subscribe to the belief that, like, it's necessarily counterintuitive or counterproductive to any sort of anti-capitalist struggle to, settle for electing Democrats in the short term. Otherwise, like, what's the point of fighting for things like Medicare for all, which isn't socialism or anything? um, And you could argue would delay whatever kind of heightened contradictions that could lead to a revolution or whatever down the road. So I don't I don't really buy into that. But at the same time, I think that voting is the least uh, effective type of politics you can engage in. Um, or the least impactful or important type of politics you individually can engage in. And I think that yet yeah, we place so much importance on it, mainly because we all are kind of political commentators and reporters. So, you know, we operate in this scene around elections all the time.
0: I just, I mean, to me, it, we shouldn't focus on it too hard. It's just, it seemed like so many people were making the objectively wrong choice. You know what I mean? It'd be, yeah. like, it'd be like flushing after you take a shit, you know? That's not a huge part of my brain, like telling people they need to take a like flush after they take a shit. But if I if I realized quite suddenly that all the people around me didn't do that, it, it would it would it would suddenly become a much bigger deal to me. You know, um, I don't know. It just feels like pretty straightforward. You get Biden and whatever, even if it's the least important thing, it's still something you've got to do. Um, it's not to me so much of an issue because like the online left represents a huge voting block because it doesn't. To me, it was more of an issue of a sort of misplaced or misguided accelerationism, because even if a leftist doesn't vote for Biden, like to me, it's not so much the vote I care about. It's that they're the type of leftist who doesn't see a difference between the kind of harm Biden could do versus the kind of harm Trump could do. And that to me suggests the existence of a, a whole other host of issues, uh, which may be significantly more concerning than their actual singular vote. You know, like that, that could lead into a whole un- bunch of other stuff, like people saying Biden is worse than Trump, or people underestimating the threat of fascism in this country, or people who think that Trump was better on foreign policy, and it gets like this whole like the uh, like a branching web of bad ideas.
1: I think there's too much hyperbole on the left. Uh, And I do think that that's a problem. Like, there are many people online who will say there's zero difference between Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And there's some people who even self identify as leftists who will argue that Joe Biden is worse than Donald Trump, which is, if you're a leftist, I, I don't think that there's an argument there. Having said that, though, I do recognize that, you know, times are tough. Like, doomerism is the subject. And for me, I like, as as a podcast host, I feel like I made a different political calculation than I would have if I wasn't a podcast host. So like after Bernie Sanders lost, I was very like, fuck Joe Biden. Like I'm so so done, I'm not gonna vote for him, fuck him. Like on Super Tuesday, I was also like, that was a very like, my dad died on Super Tuesday. So I see Bernie Sanders losing, my dad dies. So at that point, emotionally, I was like so irrational. I was like, you know what, I live in Oregon it doesn't matter what I do and fuck Joe Biden. I'm not going to vote for him. But then as time went on and Trump became more authoritarian um, and I I heard different perspectives, I thought, you know what? I can't just like, you know, hold my nose up in the air and and say, you know what? I'm leftier than thou because I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I live in a swing state because at the same time, I'm telling my viewers, well, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden, but you definitely should if you live in a swing state. So it's kind of like this, like, there's there's this fakeness to it. Right. And that's how I felt. Like, I felt like it wasn't fair that there's this expectation that, you know, my, my swing state viewers support Joe Biden so we could stop Donald Trump. But I don't have to do that. I don't have to feel gross, you know, about holding my nose. Um, and it was it was Vosh's video where he was talking about burning or bust and I shared it on Twitter and I got a lot of backlash because they were like, oh, well, how can you share this video when he's doing these ad hominem attacks, calling people dumb fucks? I'm like, honestly though, when he like said dumb fuck, like something like clicked to me, I'm like, oh yeah, I am being kind of a dumb fuck here and I should probably stop putting my emotions before everything. So basically long story short, like what I try to do is acknowledge that like people are people and we should have a diversity of tactics as, as Lance was saying. And, you know, we should, I don't know, just try to try to do our best to keep people engaged. Like I had like in, in 2016, for example, a lot of folks hated Hillary Clinton, myself included, and like for my mom, she registered to vote for the first time uh, in her 60s for Bernie Sanders. And then after that, she's like, OK, well, I guess I'm back to being apolitical. I'm not going to vote. I don't care enough. Um, and so voting for a third party for her like for Jill Stein back in in 2020. I'm like, well, look, if that's going to keep you engaged and you vote and then you vote down ticket for other Democrats, uh, you know, the Senate, I think that that's perfectly fine. So like finding ways to keep people engaged, is is important to me but it's not a perfect science because everyone is so different like a lot of people were probably turned off by vosh calling everyone dumb fucks, but that actually resonated with me somehow because i'm a fucking weird person but it it worked for me you know and sometimes we need to be shaked other people you know you approach them more you know softly and in in a more uh, i don't know personable way it just it kind of depends but i'm I'm rambling at this point demon i think you wanted to jump in as well i'll give you the last word on this before we move on to the next segment.
3: This is a topic I, I think is like super, super interesting to me. And, and mm-hmm. the, there's the whole touching on the whole Bernie or bus thing. I mean, I think people are prone to be very emotional online in general. They, they state their sort of unfiltered thoughts into Twitter and it can be hard to figure out what people are like actually going to do with that. Um, for the record, like I made my own like videos against the Bernie or bus position. Cause I think it doesn't help anything. I wish that people would view voting as a strategic chore as a thing Mm. that you've got to do because you want to set up the ground for being as easy as possible for you to get what you want um but that's kind of a like that's a hard sell when our entire our entire political system tells us that like voting is the number was like the mark of your american identity Mm -hmm. there's so much of that emotion that is infused in making elections the the sort of center of your personal politics and uh and i think that people feel a lot of disempowerment i think that there is a um a a sense that like yeah i did the things i'm supposed to do that i've been told i was supposed to do my whole life and it hasn't done anything for me i'm still sitting here with no power in a in a mountain in california or whatever whatever name what it is if you want to go about covid or whatever name 100 different things and i think that disempowerment is like sort of the underlying factor that inspires a lot of these like bad conclusions because people conclude that they're disempowered and they don't know why they're disempowered they don't know what it is that's disempowering them um i i really like that um that vosh was talking about um like the the sort of like old lefty politics and i think it brings up something or at least i would like to highlight something about like older leftist politics in america specifically is that it was based around bonds leftist Mm. politics in the past was based around a union or your community or your the company town that you lived in you would uh your farm your friend's farm these things that where people had very real connections and they could make that connection up to the next level up to whatever next level of politics there is they go we need to get this president in here because our union will suffer our community will suffer if that guy gets elected i think it becomes easier to sell people on strategic votes and on voting as a block as opposed to voting as like a personal expression if they see their voting in the context of a community of of a of their vote laying a sort of foundation for this network of bonds that they have i really really fixate on on alienation and the separation that a lot of people have these days because i think it influences a lot of our politics um i also think that we have to start thinking about how communities are formed in a different way i don't think we're ever going back to a union-based politics i don't think we're ever going back to like party-based politics in the same way that we used to um i don't know that unions are going to have like a big comeback it'd be really interesting if they did i think unions do some really good stuff but what i think we can start doing is we can start um building structures like and I'm very interested in building things, but I think we can start building structures and building communities that allow people to to like autonomously help one another in the right direction. And those people's bonds will drive them in a better direction than the than the direction that this society does. Which, if we look at the trends in employment, if you we look in the trends in in general well being over the last like ten years or so, over the Trump presidency especially, people work all the time, and our workplaces are increasingly. Uh, Uh, are increasingly alienated in and of themselves. You do jobs online, working from your own home. You don't know any of your coworkers. You work a gig job. You can't know any of your coworkers because they're all just random cars through an app. How are you going to build a sense of community? How are you going to build a sense of solidarity? We all recognize solidarity is vital to the politics of the left. That solidarity is like what the underlying factor of left politics. But how do you do that? We need to figure that out. We have to figure out how we rebuild solidarity, actual solidarity. How do we, you know build bonds between people again that will inspire their politics and i think that will have a if we can figure out how to reconnect people how to make people understand their context they will be more interested in politics and they're more likely to be willing to make a strategic vote on something like biden um if they're if they're if they're truly convinced that they're not powerless, that they can go, oh yeah, whatever, vote for Biden, sure, whatever, check it right off. I don't even think it has to be a matter of suppressing your emotions. I just think we have to change the emotional context. Say, yeah, it's not a big deal to vote for Biden. We're just doing a strategic vote. Now let's get back out there and let's do this thing with our online community, with our IRL community, with our physical like household community or our town community. These things that give you a sense, a feeling of political power because you can actually impact something around you as opposed to sort of just like, Throwing your metaphorical paper airplane in the direction of Washington, D.C., and hoping to hear back someday while your power is still out. And I, I understand why people feel so doomer. I understand why they feel so disempowered. And I think it's because, like, one of the things that has uh, that distinguishes the modern left from the left of the past is that the left of the past went through the Cold War era and got all of their bonds systemically destroyed. You know, Um, like, I mean, seriously, we're talking organizations that have been broken and collapsed through strike breaking, through union busting, through deregulation has completely shattered the bonds that were there. And we need to do that. We need those bonds. Those bonds are the, the foundation of everything else that comes after that.
1: Yeah, well, folks, I think that really, if you're watching this and you're not necessarily sure how to feel and the doomism is still like, you know, it's, it's overwhelming you. Maybe you could take pieces of what each of us said throughout the course of this and like, you know, fill it in either way. One thing that I always find solidarity in is that, you know, if politics makes me feel like I'm going crazy, I'm not the only one. And we're all kind of like just going crazy together, but something that makes me feel even better is knowing uh, how much crazier, you know, some people are, and and we're as crazy as we may feel from leftist politics, it's not as bad as uh, what we're about to see in this next segment. So, uh, on this week's weekly dose of stupidity, folks, I have really unfortunate news: White Boy Summer is canceled. Damn. In a world of politics dominated by
4: the strange, the deranged, and outright insane, we'll hey now guys. take
5: a moment so, to shine uh, a light check on the in. craziest of what politics has to offer. This is your weekly dose of stupidity.
1: Well, this week, know, folks... Shut up, chat. We have some medical advice from the son of Tom Hanks. He's going to encourage everyone to get vaccinated, but there's gonna be a little bit of a plot twist. So uh, let's go ahead and, and watch.
5: Hey guys, so um just checking in. Look, I've been kinda on the fence about this for a while. That's why I've never spoke on it. But with the amount of people that I know recently that, that have gotten COVID and with like the numbers rising, I think it's important for me to say like, I got the vaccine i think everybody should i think it's really important like that we all do this just as like si-
1: now if we pause it right here this is a wonderful video is it not so far like, so we,
5: good
1: if we if we pretend as if he stops talking right here uh, i have no issue with this but this is going to uh veer sharply in a, a very different direction
3: citizens as americans we have to look out for each other and get this shit under control guys so like I suggest to all my followers, you guys make set an appointment
2: and get the vaccine first thing.
5: Psych, bitch, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I never had COVID. You sticking me with that motherfucking needle. It's the motherfucking flu. Get over it. OK, if you're sick, stay inside. I'm tired of having. OK, why are we working around y'all? If y'all, uh, if you're in danger, stay your ass inside. I'm tired of wearing a motherfucking mask.
1: The worst part is that you know that he's recording this thinking that he's killing it. But when I watch this, it makes me want to like find the highest cliff and just like yeet myself off of it in Roblox, of course. Uh, Folks, how do we deal with these people?
4: Well, I just want to remind everybody out there that uh, Chet Hanks has a cameo that you can purchase for one ninety nine. So if you'd like to hear him say anything else, perhaps something in patois, or have him, ah, you can order that on Cameo right now uh, for one ninety
2: nine. Same price as Giuliani, isn't it?
1: <laughs> is it wait I Giuliani's on cameo <laughs> yeah. oh my god
3: yeah Giuliani's wow. gone further and further lower
1: oh um, my god wow
2: I mean I think there's the obligatory thing to say that obviously there are people who haven't gotten vaccinated for fairly legitimate reasons we have a healthcare system that is built to exclude people to leave people out to not give people information about how they can get health care, where they can get health care. There are a lot of people who think they need health insurance to get the shot, even mm-hmm. though that's not the case. Um, also, children can't get it. But I, I'm kind of a little tired of this notion that we have to, like, you know, be easy on these anti-vaxxers or use persuasion. Um, it's clear that that's not what's driving these people especially and when i see someone like chet hanks it makes me want to personally sign up for like a, you know a, a a vaccine a government vaccine brigade of teams that hold people <laughs> down and you know insert needles into people Wonder. um Wonder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so well you need a team of a few guys there's going to be resistance when when you're trying to hold someone down and stick a needle in them um chet Is kind of a big dude. I don't know if I can do it personally. I might need a team, but like a lot of these people, (laughs) like they know the facts, they know what the situation is. And they're the same type of people who've always through their politics acted selfishly and are now coming on this position where they can be the most selfish person possible because it suits them. And now they're anti-vaxxers and yeah, I don't have much patience for them. I think we got to have some sort of I, I know vaccine mandates are a little bit tricky in how they can be implemented, but I, th- I think you know we can bar people from flying, bar people from certain restaurants, and I don't think businesses are really taking the lead on this as we're seeing. Um, I did not lie, by the way. Price, price was accurate.
1: Two hundred dollars.
2: Yeah, I'm two hundred.
0: I'm pretty much at mandatory vaccines. I'm pretty much there. Apparently, two thirds of Americans are on board with that idea anyway. So, in a democratic sense, it would mm-hmm. actually hold a supermajority opinion. I don't know. I think that at this point, choosing not to get the vaccine is a violation of the bodily autonomy of other people. Um, you're essentially allowing, like, an interminable plague. We don't have... Wait, there's a beeping behind somebody's... Does anyone else hear that? beep. beep. Uh, I hear I it, too. It's
4: not me. Yeah, beep-beep. Beep-beep.
1: Yeah, no, I Gotta hear it, off. too. It's very, sorry. very distracting. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm not sure. Uh,
4: somebody
0: has a beep-beep. That's okay. Uh, I don't have a beep-beep. Um... Anyway, yeah, we don't have many, like, ethical analogs to this because usually when we're talking about bodily autonomy, we're only referring to things done to the individual itself. But because of the way the COVID spreads and new um, a new variants of it form, which could potentially supersede the effectiveness of existing vaccines, this is kind of a everyone-needs-to-get-in-the-boat situation. Um, we're getting a little bit past the these worn out like uh let me do what i want sort of pseudo libertarian arguments from by the way a man who i don't know this but i'm almost positive this is the case probably is uh pro pro blue lives matter anti blm so the libertarianism i'm guessing probably very selective uh on his part and a lot of the other factors yeah Uh, yeah it always always is is with these
3: people and libertarians are never libertarians it's the conspiracism (laughs) thing
0: and we've been dealing with this for a while but right now we have a um Uh, An entire political party and uh, the media empire that aligns with them that are facilitating and nurturing this conspiracism about as much as you reasonably can. So we're going to have to find a way to deal with that sometime, too.
1: Yeah, and you know I, I'm kind of on board with the mandatory vaccines. At a minimum, vaccine passports should not be controversial. But this is what we're dealing with. I just want to give people a sense of the petulance that we're dealing with. So, a sociologist from Dartmouth College says that vax resistors could be tricked into getting the shot if they think it would make liberals mad. Um, this is where we're at, folks. This is where y- like you have to convince them to take a shot to save their lives, to own the libs. <laughs> how do you how do you deal with this literal baby
0: brain literal infant brain like yeah I,
1: i
3: just had i had a great idea don't be a <laughs> cuck get stuck
1: there you go be the a we gets... gotta
3: come up with that yeah the, we gotta make it seem like if you don't get your vaccine it's because you're afraid oh, of tiny geez. germs and that means that's you're a cuck
0: just say the like vaccine that. side effect is that it inoculates you against the increases of estrogen and soy that's being put in american food <laughs> and they'll take it like that <laughs> yeah, and they'll rude. be like finally i was getting worried just take that shot well right it,
1: and also on to that note um COVID-19 has affected some men when it comes to erectile dysfunction as well. So if you don't want your dick to break, then vaccinate yourself so you don't get COVID. Um, And another thing. So this is what I've been doing. So I really hold back a lot because I just want to scream at anti-vaxxers. And there's thankfully no one left in my family who I believe is anti-vax. So now I'm moving on to the rest of the people in society. Uh, Got to catch them all. Got to catch them all. 100 percent, baby. So this is what I try to share, right? Because this, these are the stories that I think are going to move people that are still movable. So unvaxed COVID patient posts videos from ICU begging people to get the shot. How many times have we seen this same story with, you know, right-wing radio hosts dying, saying they're going to be, you know, if they survive, they'll be the biggest pro-vax people in the world. I'm not sure if the video is going to play. It wasn't playing earlier, but I just want to play a little bit of this. Um, okay, yeah, it's not working. But, um, you know, I think that... As much as we can use whatever tactics possible, I think we should go for it. Scaring people, uh, making life very, very uncomfortable if you are not vaccinated so you can't go to the store. Because I'm sorry, like like as Sam was saying, if you're under 12, you're not eligible to get the vaccine yet. So, you know, this is no longer just the personal choice as as Vosh was alluding to as well. You know, you are endangering other people actively so and your freedom ends where your, you know, your neighbor's, fist uh or nose begins i just fucked up that statement but you all know the spirit of what i was talking about fill in the blanks yeah
3: yeah there's so much about this god like i i have spent so much time covering and thinking about covid over the last like year and it's like yeah uh, it's so tough because like on 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 one hand, like, I do agree that, like, the scaring route seems to work pretty well. Like, I just had a, rel- a conversation with a relative the other day, which we haven't in- we haven't spoken in a while because we had a big falling out about anti-vax stuff. Like, this is literally one of my you know, family members I still talk to, and-, and they got into this anti-vax, anti-masking thing, and then their friend almost died. And, uh, and the- 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 their friend dying, who was a mutual, like, a friend of our family, like, I know this person, like, they almost, they're just, they're disabled now they have long COVID, like, and seeing that made them, uh, change, you know, made my family member change their position on it, which like, that's the unfortunate reality of like, all of this is like a lot of times it is that that takes it. I don't know about like how I feel about things like max, like, like, uh, vaccine mandates. Um, not because of any sort of like personal, like freedom argument or anything like that, but because I worry what the, what that's going to mean for the, from the government's perspective, something that has really frustrated me about our government's COVID response has basically been that all of the policy has been made not around keeping people well and people not dying. I mean, we have 650,000 dead now somewhere in that ballpark, um, which is a lot of Americans dead. Um, but it's always been about well how do we get how do we do the thing that gets people back to work and so my fear is that you end up with a uh, a a bold path forward of mandating vaccines and also then everybody get, goes back to work and you end all the benefits so everybody has to get the vaccine and you use working and and finances and means testing to push the economy back open and therefore force everybody in under the name of of ultimately like hey yeah you're getting vaccinated but we're at a point where that's not just the vaccine isn't just the issue. The Delta variant is already here. A lot of new cases are Delta variant. We're most likely it is just simply true. We are probably going to get another variant if they pass a, va- a vaccine mandate. And it is like I sort of theorize it will be where it's this it's a vaccine mandate to push people into going and getting uh, getting back into work and whatever. Um, I worry that that would be that that's just going to lead us to a position where uh we naively recreate the exact circumstances that led to where we are right now by pushing people back into their workplaces, back into their, uh, you know, into their restaurants and their Best Buys and their everything like that. And then we just get another variant and we do it all over again. I think that's like a horror situation. So I don't know. I don't know if a, ma- if a vaccine mandate is like the answer, but uh, we there's got to be there, like I. I, I, I honestly like I find the COVID the COVID at this point to be such a hard uphill battle that I, I uh it is one of the topics that I find hard like I think that like a lot of what I focus on is like, how do we alleviate it, like in the lives of the people around me, because the policy level is just chaos right now. It's so chaotic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the issues for me that's really driving my doomerism, at least like personally speaking, because it kind of feels like we're just going to be in this perpetual state of uh, of plague because there's so many people who are willingly choosing to not take the vaccine. So I'll go back to like what Lance said about like using everything, a variety of tactics. I think we should definitely do that when it comes to vaccines. I don't know the extent to which- I answer
4: this one specifically? Oh yeah, I, I, feel free. I, do, I do, I have two examples that I could give all y'all and they both happen to involve the French. So prepare yourselves. But oh, okay. uh, in the case of both uh, Macron in France and in Quebec as well, what they did is they started implementing vaccine passport systems, whereas you would be required to use Use a passport to be able to get into things, such as say a nice good old sweaty nightclub to get your sweat on. If that was the case, all of a sudden you saw in both areas, both in Quebec and in France, the amount of people getting vaccinated starts to surge. So I don't think mm. it's like, you know, you'll have the anti-vaxxers who will try to say outrageous and outlandish things like this is apartheid, blah, 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 even though it's a free vaccine that everyone has access to. I think you have to be sensitive to the fact that there are going to be certain demographics within every society uh that may not want to take, uh, you know, medicines directly from the government for historical reasons, right? Like Black Americans, for example, would have that. So would Indigenous Canadians. They would have the exact same reasons. So you can start outreach programs to help them. But you would find in the places where they've done this, if you implement some sort of a... Uh, a system where, yeah, you don't have the right to go into a crowded area and cough on people and give people disease and sweat on people. That's not that's not freedom. That's not your God given right, you know. So uh, we do have uh, a passport system. The vaccine is free. You can access it at any time. Boom, numbers goes up.
1: That's interesting to me because you know I saw the same thing with mask mandates. So while I live in Oregon. Like, there's a lot of us who are coastal elites here. Shout out, um, but like in Oregon you know, nobody was wearing masks or I shouldn't say nobody, like maybe 30, 40 percent of people wearing masks. But like overnight, once the mask mandate was implemented, 99 percent of people at the grocery store were wearing masks. So I think that policy intervention, it does work like, you know, you're you're not going to get 100 percent of people, as as Lance was saying, you're still going to have anti-vaxxers. But I think that you need to cast the widest net possible and, you know, moving towards like not just, you know, um, mandating it legally to the extent that government can, because I don't know that they have like, the federal government has power to do that, but to the extent that we can, I think that we should we should at least try to do that. And there is, you know, a uh, precedent with vaccine mandates to to go to school and whatnot. yeah, not,
4: not not for essential services, not for not for just regular things. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about like they were they were for like, do you want to go into a crowded bar? Do you want to go mm-hmm. into a I nightclub? See. Do you want to go into a concert right. and things like that? So yes, you'd probably need to wear. That's how you RC get shoes, Chet you know,
2: Hanks vaccinated. The mask, was mandates. So fast.
0: The mask <laughs> mandates are fairly easy legislation. Because it's really Mm -hmm. easy to tell if a person's wearing a mask. And if you show up and you're not wearing a mask, the person can tell you to leave. And if you don't, they can call the police. Really easy, straightforward, visible. Mm -hmm. You don't need existing infrastructure. Proving vaccinations is way more difficult. I don't like the vaccine passport stuff that much. Because unless there was some really rigorous implementation, you know? Um, But the more it gets... The the more thoroughly it gets implemented, the more... um, the more successfully I would need it to be implemented. It would need to be something that's fairly easy to understand and to deal with. We all know how bad (laughs) the average person is at managing any kind of technology, any kind of registry, database, bureaucracy. Um, And I don't want that to magnify any existing social inequality. And I'd like to minimize the number of good, honest, innocent people who get caught up in it. I think what we need (laughs) to focus on more than anything else, and this isn't usually my go-to approach. you know, We're all very fun and friendly on my stream, but... I think we just need to bully the shit out of people who don't want to get vaccinated, vaccine. <laughs> just, like, interpersonally, I mean, in a mutual yeah. aid kind of way. Not just policy-wise. I think we need to, you know, we need to roll up our sleeves and get back to the good old God-fearing, uh, earnest work of just making them feel like shit, okay? (laughs) Just imagine, just channel all the energy of a homophobe with gay relatives. I mean, just make them feel awful about it. (laughs) And the good part is you'd be justified in doing so. Say, hey, you want to see my family? You got to get the vaccine first, okay? You want to do this with me? Nope, you're not doing that to you with the vaccine. Oh, wait, oh, you're not using the vaccine? Oh, okay, are you curing your illnesses with leeches and lie over there doesn't play into them because the fact of the matter is people only engage in this conspiracy bullshit as long as it's socially convenient to them it's why flat earth took off with the internet okay if you are in an environment that doesn't coddle your bullshit you walk out of it okay so with regards to the anti-vax stuff just feel okay about making them feel bad and honest to god i think that's going to do a lot of good because logic is clearly not going to do it. If logic had anything to do with their decision to not be vaccinated, we wouldn't be in this position. Okay. In the absence of logic, all we really have left are how people feel. And I don't know. What do we want to make them th- th- feel? A hero to get vaccinated? I'll pay them. Sure, we can pay them a 200 two hundred. I'm fine with that too. We can try that. But we should also. Yeah. I
3: mean. Them. I I do think that like uh, I I think that there are incentive things like this. This is where we get to that whole like politically possible versus what's like going to going to actually happen. Because, like, I mean, I still very firmly believe that if we had um, if we had just from the get go taken a, a large sum of money and put it towards, okay hotels have to be closed because nobody's traveling. So let's have the government buy like, buy out blocks of hotels to, to put people in, like homeless people who don't have a place to stay. Go stay in the hotel. Stay there until the, until the end of the pandemic. Get people off the streets. Uh, pay people to stay home from work. Uh, pay businesses if you have to. Subsidize businesses so that they can stay closed. It would have, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to throw that much money at it. But we, we already did that. We already threw money in the wrong direction. And like a lot of it like trump threw a lot of money in the wrong direction and like we're still throwing money now and we have a ton of dead people so i feel like Mm -hmm. the best thing that we could do that would probably be cheaper than even trying to implement passports and this sort of thing is just pay people to do like incentivize them doing the right thing i do tend to agree um about the idea of like, uh, people tend to like, you know, they'll, they'll like get very on board with their Mike Lindell anti mask vote, you know, the, the Dominion voting, these like wild conspiracies. But then when it's like, okay, but I need you to, then you get to the, the like, the like call to action and they're like, oh, uh, and all the, everybody starts sort of mumbling and wandering off in the other <laughs> direction once the call to action happens. It's true, it is. People are like yeah. that. Now, Conservatives in America are in a little bit of a unique position with regard to being able to be shamed. Um, so I don't know if it's I don't know if just shaming them and making fun of them will work because they almost seem to get a um, pleasure out of it. Like I mean, we all know about the war about against Christmas, right? Like they love that. Oh, I love the war on Christmas. Them, Happy holidays! <laughs> they'll they'll it's been it's tr- conservative tradition to get to to feel validated by being victimized by a red cup that says happy holidays or whatever so i feel like they kind of like that but i think that we can sort of undercut them by calling their bluff and just being like hey watch this if you get a coupon for uh for fucking a beer discount for the next six months you if you get your vaccine go for it they're gonna be like okay i'm not telling any of my family i'm not going on, i'm not going to go online i'm not going to post about it but i'm getting that fucking coupon." So I, I feel like we can I feel like we should do things like that. I mean honestly, like in my ideal circumstance, if I was Joe Biden uh, right now, uh, I would tell I would say, you know, uh, convert the hotels, Jack, and have him fucking you know really dump a lot of money into this stuff food just make food easy to get people don't got to pay anything take a ton of government money and make life good for people they'll stay inside if they can stay inside and play video games and watch streams and do whatever all day they'll do it and the and the, the virus will die it will if we choke it off but if we're not going to get that i don't know we got to go that far maybe we can just do beer coupons or that that thing that they did in california with the joint the, the joint for mm. the jab. You get a free yeah. joint, nice, you know, nice free PS5s. Nice, yeah, whatever. Oh, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's got to be some solutions. Yeah, there's got to be solutions try. like that, and I've not seen almost anything like that. Yeah, I that's will say, just... it's... Sorry. Sorry. Oh
2: no, no, please go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you that it, it's hard to it, It's hard to have this debate and blame individuals, and there is blame blame to go to individuals when the government has completely failed to provide <laughs> an adequate COVID response from the beginning. There was a way. To stop the pandemic a year ago, paying people to stay home, freezing the economy. And even today, people are advised, you know, if you get a positive COVID test, quarantine for two weeks. Well, how are you going to do that? Like, we don't have places set up like they had in China and in, in Vietnam and in other places where people can go uh, if and be fed and provided for if they end up with a positive COVID test. And it's hard to imagine that we would ever assemble those things here. Although, you know, hundred years ago, we had stuff similar with tuberculosis and sanitariums and stuff, but um, we are not the same sort of society that would like do that because there was no profit ever in paying people to stay home and shutting down the economy. We had to make sure the line goes up. And when it comes to vaccinating people, like, you know, we're all throwing out ideas here because the government really hasn't done much here. We are at 50% vaccination rate and we haven't really tried all these other methods to encourage more people to get vaccinated, except like on a piecemeal basis and locations in various places. But like we really, the government once again, really hasn't tried that much. And I do also agree that I don't, I don't want to discourage people from ridiculing uh, anti-vaxxers. That's my tack as well, just because that's, you know, how I'm personally dealing with this situation. But I do think that they want to fight like that is, Mm -hmm. they they now have like anti-vaxxers have a lot of crossover with a lot of other reactionary politics that is now built on confrontation and fighting like they don't have i mean other than preserving a white majority in the united states and some sort (laughs) of libertarian government system like beyond that they just want to fight people because it's a politics of grievance and nihilism i totally agree with that i think it does depend on the fight though
0: because i think there are some fights they really like if biden went up on stage and said we are declaring war on the unvaccinated or some some inflammatory statement you know um they would love that they'd run with it for years you know but Mm -hmm. there's something i think they're, they're much less engaged with the 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 actual consequences of social grievance because they haven't really ever experienced it you know Um, When it comes to, like, direct political persecution, the right doesn't actually feel it. Sometimes they do intersectionally. There are poor people who vote Republican, of course. They feel that. But for being conservative, um, the only derision they really ever experience is people being sort of inherently morally put off by the things they believe, you know? And I think that's something that they've always felt a deep shame about. When it comes to stuff like the war on Christmas, it feels like they glorify the aesthetic of social conflict, like the idea that the media elite are coming after them. But people will always change their behavior, well, often enough at least, when subjected to a lot of interpersonal stressors, you know? I just, I, I, just, yeah. I think it's an element of the approach. Paying people to yeah, get I vaccinated do. seems like it'd be the most effective. I just, I wonder, like, how,
3: how can you bully people out of QAnon? Maybe.
1: Mm i
3: don't know but i will say though i do think that there's value and i want to give credit to vosh because there is value in my opinion in the catharsis the rest of us get from making fun of those people bro <laughs> i think we would all i think i would I, if i couldn't make fun of anti-vaxxers i would have lost my mind already completely across this yeah. thing so that I, is the value that shouldn't be i discounted. can i don't I can, know being, I, is
4: self-care yeah. <laughs> I, true though what I, what I could say from the uh, the made-up fantasy land of Canada is that we've got the highest rates in the world right now. I'm not saying this to flex. I'm saying this to say...
1: Rub it in land, biggest... God. No, 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 I'm,
4: I'm <laughs> no. I'm 100% just... not saying this to flex. I'm saying this, what's the biggest difference between BC and, say, like Alabama or other parts mm-hmm. of the United States? We don't have own networks we don't have fox Mm. news we don't have tucker carlson we don't have the 24 7 cycle that all you amazing yanks are pushing (laughs) up against right because like that's that's what you all have to do like that is your job and 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 without someone doing that you get tucker carlson on the radio every day saying that it like force feminizes you and 5g's you and inserts the robots into your testicles all that shit does have an effect you can see it in the numbers
3: yeah and
2: uh, And i think if
3: Go ahead. Uh, I I was just going to say, I think you've touched on something that is uh, is sort of a unique challenge of America in general. Right. Is that like America has this such a deeply ingrained conservative media presence. I uh, when uh, Rush Limbaugh, thankfully, departed from this world, um, I I had a big uh, stream uh, because I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh owns america's radio waves and i mean that in that like it's him and if it's not, if you're not listening to him you're listening to someone who's backed by him who's been chosen by not directly chosen by him but chosen by him to be that that region's rush limbaugh and that's the same thing goes for conservative tv i don't know uh, is there something is there anything that can even be done about that i don't know how we do that i mean i like to think that like uh that like at least online, like lefties are getting good at SEO. We're getting good at getting our word into the face of people who would otherwise only ever hear um, Fox News. But- network news and radio is almost impenetrable it is almost impossible to get someone to not tune in to fox news if they're used to just turning on their tv and letting that run there's no you can't insert yourself there there's no youtube recommendations They're they control the recommendations they control that echo chamber and i'm like i don't know how do we i don't know how we penetrate that
1: i don't know it's functionally it's functionally daycare for boomers like they just sit in front of the tv all day and they are entertained but well, um, I'll, I'll, it's, it's ahead, also
2: we, we, there's also Joe Rogan, right, who's not traditional right. conservative media, who has millions of listeners and has been on a kick that young people aren't really in, young, healthy people aren't really in danger of COVID. And I'd say that as much as I've criticized the government's response and it deserves it, if there's one clear message that the government has put out during this pandemic is that this is a disease that affects older people more than younger people, but younger people can still get sick and pass it on older people like this has been something i feel like everybody should have known by now there's no sort of excuse unless you're completely consuming all your media from a place that is looking to undermine those facts and i see someone like chet hanks i feel like that is where that's where he has probably gotten his message this idea that you know he doesn't need it that this is for weak people or whatever and you see lots of testimonials and or interviews and and there was one recently in the times of a young person who's like You know, I want to wait for people who who need the vaccine more than me. I'm young. I don't you know, I'm not going to get sick. And he lives with his 80 year old grandma. Like he has no clue almost that he can get her sick when he's being interviewed by The Times. And it's, you know, maybe maybe I'm assuming he's a Rogan listener. I don't know. But like, he's probably this (laughs) this guy has influence. And I mean, he's not considered fox news he's can probably a lot of people consider him part of the left media sphere which i would find which i personally say is ridiculous but um yeah. or at least part of this alternative anti-establishment media frame that is now spewing a lot of anti-vax stuff
1: yeah um, so, folks, we're about about—we're uh, a little more over the uh, halfway point. I want to give the panelists a break. So what we'll do is we'll cut to our featured uh, content creator of the week. When we come back, we will dive further into the rabbit hole of stupidity in the United States. Let me just check in. Uh, Demon Mama, I didn't know that you were also in Seattle. Are you and, and Vosh, like, are you okay with the heat to go for a little while longer?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've more or less uh, – I've, I've uh, adapted – to unbearable pressure and heat at this
0: point. Uh, i like okay. a fish at this well, point. To I'm actually gonna have to depart at the hour because it's my friend and roommate Hyena's birthday today. We have- uh, Oh, happy birthday, Hyena. Happy birthday, Hyena. That's Yay! awesome.
1: Hyena's okay, base. yeah, for sure. I got I will have to depart too- In case the hour. first start. one was bad. Okay, okay. So here's what we'll do. Uh, we'll, we'll take a quick uh, two and a half minute break and then uh, we will dive right back in and get in as much as we can before the hour, folks. How does that sound? Absolutely. All right. Oh, okay. How is... long is the break? Uh, the break is about 2 minutes and 30 seconds.
4: Okay. Uh, bye, Vosh. Uh, say happy birthday to Hyena and uh, give her a big hug for me. That's awesome. And bye, Sam. It was very nice to meet you. we sticking around
2: for awesome. and, uh, a half hour. I'll stick around for awesome. and, uh, a half gonna
4: Retract all my previous statements. I'm just talking gibberish. Don't listen to me. Thank you. Okay,
2: don't go yet. Don't get yet. You don't have to say bye later. I'll be right here.
1: <laughs> we will be right back, folks. I'm going
3: to grab a drink. This is
0: this is a cute show. Maybe I'll come on here for just maybe from time to time. I just don't like socializing. Hello.
6: Hi, my name is Amy C3. I'm a leftist housing hey. advocate, an independent data journalist, and cool. I stream on Twitch. Awesome. I want to talk about my latest project, though. It is a Thanks. housing news program on YouTube. Sure. Mm.
5: Yeah.
0: Whoa. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God, we're in the housing zone.
6: So the show is broken down into three categories. Cool. I start with the general housing story. That's called the rule I then of then move race. to a data portion where we take a closer look at the data that is tied to that housing story. And then my favorite, which is the ground game portion and the response by local activists to that issue that was presented in the original housing news story one of the goals of this program is to inform an audience of people who might be interested in joining the fight and and being a part of their community taking on a role of leadership joining the dsa meeting going to a tenant union meeting and for me that would be the most rewarding part of this program is if it did activate people to want to be part of the community movement of empowerment. It's very new and very much a work in progress. So I'm still working on figuring out the format of these videos. But if you're interested in learning more, all episodes are available on YouTube. Housing News with Amy C3. Thank you so much. And I hope you give them a chance.
0: Face. Wait, what?
1: well folks if you're watching on youtube okay. there will be links in the description box and if you're watching on means you, tv i will you try to remember on, to comment either. below uh you, the the episode of dystopian times do you want to jump in bosch uh, oh no i was i was
0: uh berating my chat for being uh very kind to me i'm here hello
1: Hello, Vasha's chat. Um, okay, one last thing. Um, so, before we move on, I just want to plug this GoFundMe. This is for Carly. She's a member of the humanist support community. She's one of my mods. Uh, I've known her for years, and she needs a little bit of money to cover a surgery. And she needs $1,500. So I'll link to this on YouTube. If you can help out Carly, she will be eternally grateful. She is an advocate of Medicare for all. But meanwhile, until we get Medicare for all, I feel like these kinds of things, uh, you know, I try to plug them as much as I possibly can. But Carly is a really, really great person, Um, phenomenal progressive and leftist. And if you can help her out, I will be eternally grateful. So please check out Carly's GoFundMe along with. Uh, amy c3's channel um so before the break i said we were going to dive a little bit deeper into the stupidity of american politics and uh just to give you a little bit of a precursor you know the conservative movement has been fixated on mr potato head cat in the hat and lately they've taken a liking to uh the muppets now I hope that this doesn't get me like copyright claims because he's going to play a clip of the Muppets, but we're going to watch the Muppets folks. I'm sure that some of us grew up with it and, and see what all of the, uh, the noise is about with regard to conservatives and why they're outraged here.
5: Way from the transgender issue, right? It's everywhere. Even though transgender issues, well, really affects a very small number of people, but it seems like they want it to affect a lot more, especially our children.
1: Meet Gonzo, uh, Gonzo is a Muppet. I just got to pause it real, real quick because like he's, he's trying to create this ominous image and then he cuts to this beautiful, bright picture of the Muppets. And I just, I, I love everything that's happening right here.
5: Or one of these characters, Disney characters. Uh, I didn't know Gonzo was a kid, but Gonzo's big. And uh, well, Gonzo had a secret for uh, Gonzo's friends. The Wait
2: here it
1: with me let well, me pause it right there before he goes on his rant we can uh, you know already anticipate what he's going to say but is that not the most wholesome wonderful thing you've ever seen like how could you not love that
0: it's yeah incredibly I, I just want to add this before any discourse takes place that um gonzo has been like basically canonically non-binary since the 1970s you can actually <laughs> find episode segments of it Really? wearing a, 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 a dress with, like, the hand Muppets, I mean, way back, decades before I was born. So this is, yeah, no, seriously, multiple times, multiple episodes, this is completely, uh, yeah, this is, this is, you know what, this is Invented. canon. Very
2: base. Yeah. Gonzo is so, a, a species of alien that doesn't have gender.
0: <laughs> so you have it.
1: <laughs> okay so uh, no. you can already anticipate what is going to be said here we'll also cut to one of my favorite political commentators on the right who's going to also weigh in here but um let's let him um tell you why he's deeply offended apologies gonzo i Oof, sorry <laughs>
5: uh why is this being pushed i don't know if gonzo is a cross or transgender but if Gonzo is transgender that is a disorder. Gender dysphoria Jesus. is a disorder. It, it's uh, an alien. Officially so. All right? <laughs> so Muppet between their gender
0: alien, alien, and their alien. cartoon. cartoon and
1: okay, so True. W- b- before we discuss this True. that is not all So Candace Owens actually reacted to this, saying, I can't believe I'm tweeting this, but they are pushing the trans agenda on children via Muppet babies. This is sick and perverted in all caps. Everyone should be disturbed by predatory cartoons meant to usher children into gender dysphoria. Bring back manly Muppets, anyone? Folks, what is happening on the right? What is happening on the right? Uh, I'll just leave this open to the panel because I this makes me want to um kill so myself
4: we're we're all thinking life. of the swedish chef right like it's it's she's she's got to be talking about the swedish Didn't chef that's, that's the only Bunny one that comes to mind
0: cross-dress <laughs> 80 years ago with what i it? think yeah. so i just i'm I mean, just i'm just saying that like they're they're act first of all they act like this is this trans issue when no it's not there are stories of people dressing up for comedic effect or because they enjoy doing so for literal centuries does anyone remember avatar the last airbender if you haven't seen it you should see it asaka dresses up as a kyoshi warrior in episode like five makeup and everything but back then there wasn't this obsession with using every instance of a of a guy or 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 whatever wearing a dress as part of the culture war battle against trans people so it went largely uncommented on but if it came out today you know people would be screeching about nickelodeon Pushing transgenderism
1: on the youth. Go or something.
3: woke, go broke, go woke, go yeah, broke, broke ever. <laughs> Yeah. And they
1: make... Well, and, and and to really speak to how much things have changed, like I'm wearing a Zelda shirt In Breath of the Wild. There's this like uh, part of the game where Link has to dress up in women's clothing to like get into some area. Am I like? Oh, I know. Uh, I've probably, seen like,
0: drawings of those uh, of those segments.
3: Listen. Right. And it like I don't remember.
1: We can we can dive into the Legend of Zelda lore. But I mean, like, yeah, I, yes. I don't remember it being controversial even back then. I mean, maybe I saw an article about it, like praising it or something, but now every like conservatives are hypersensitive to where they're fixated on these weird, like culture war issues that don't even make sense. Like, you know, the cancellations of Mr. Potato Head and uh, Cat in the Hat when this these oh, weren't actually God. cancellations. I I can Please do.
3: Why they don't care about um, about Legend of Zelda or anything that we that is done today? There's so many examples of things they could get mad about that are way woker or mm-hmm. way more trans agenda. As the representative of <laughs> demonic transes who are un- undermining the world here, <laughs> um, but uh, the the it's it's that old people recognize Muppets and old people recognize Mrs. Butterworth and old people recognize Uncle Ben and old people recognize um the dr seuss but they don't it's know what their toys is. they're it's like a generation like toys. a link in a chain yeah. fence. like that's a great yeah. i don't get it
4: that's very yeah. true
3: it's that and like i don't know it, it does seem to be that they get most mad about things that old people would real would recognize which to me mm-hmm. plays into that whole idea of like the Newsmax and fox news being boomer daycare mm-hmm. right like yeah. i don't know yeah, I, I've looked. There's images of Gonzo in a
0: in a in a in a dress from like a million years ago, back when everything <laughs> was drawn on animation cells. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's completely toothless. I I don't even know if they believe any of this stuff when they say it. Like I haven't heard. W- when are we gonna get the cancellation of Bugs Bunny? That guy dr- crossdressed <laughs> n- all the time. He kissed men. All the time, what? he'd, he'd no, put. No, it's on true. Oh yeah, it's true. The, the voice and the affect I've and the it. makeup.
1: Yeah, I'm wow. just saying. Like, I didn't know this about Bugs Bunny on yeah.
3: my TV. He maybe that's what.
1: Maybe that turned me gay. Is that possible? Like, I don't remember seeing Bugs Bunny. You, you can uh, a things man? In you. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Also, yeah, I, I just I, I want to know how the logic of this works because I think you can make people trans by showing them by showing kids trans people, but kids are shown <laughs> cis people pretty much all the time. Every human who has ever lived is constantly being shown cis people. So, I don't... Does it only go one way?
4: Is it... Is <laughs> and, it and six, uh, like, sorry, c- is cis sexuality in everything? Everywhere. Like, every single cartoon that you grow up with, it's just like, oh, yes, Gene Muscles, He-Man, you know, and now here we go. It's gonna be amazing. Like... And the th- thing is, by are, the way... Things are very subtly changing.
0: I have never seen an instance of a masculine character being feminized in what I thought was a cynical attempt to promote, like, an affinity for trans people. I don't think I've ever actually seen that once. With all the cynical, mm-hmm. woke shit that comes out to appeal to millennials, I don't think I've ever seen that. Can anyone,
3: does anyone have an? like, can anyone think of that happening? No. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you want to look of examples of, like, trans representation and, 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 like, stuff like that in film and pop culture, it's, like, overwhelmingly negative like you just mm-hmm. get to like the the Ace Ventura, like the most extreme examples of just, just truly yeah. like I don't know, like going back and watching like Ace Ventura. Silence it's like, of oh the God, Lambs. Oh, God, so bad, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah.
1: Oh, a- Ace Ventura is yeah. really bad. Yeah. It's yeah. Really bad. It's I rewatched bad. that one a couple of years ago, and I was like, Whoa! <laughs> yeah, Whoa! It just it's keeps really going. It's <laughs> it just keeps bad. going.
3: It never stops. We and do. So, a- yeah. Like oh, yeah. it doesn't make sense. No, no, go ahead. I was just I know we, we
0: got a glow up, though. If anyone's been following One Piece for the past hundred years, um, where we actually have, I think, two trans characters who are treated well and beloved in the current arc. Um, All right. Yeah. Wow. You have, um, uh, fuck, you have Yamato and you have, um, what's the name of the nine foot tall lady? Is it three? Oh, anyway, I don't know. But do okay. kids, do kids read
3: One Piece? I don't know. I I huh. so I I follow a couple of conservative commentators who I think are particularly fun to watch on this particular topic. Um, uh, Candace Owens is always a classic, um, of mm-hmm. course. But my personal favorite is Matt Walsh, and hey, hey. that's mm. because Matt Walsh will lose his absolute mind over the smallest thing and I I mean truly uh like he read a book uh, once on stream on his little stream that he does and it was like and he just read through this book and it was literally a book that was just like this is Carla she was assigned male at birth. By her, her parents, she's but trans and w- but she's later like on realized that, that cool? she was a girl, and he was like, "This is perversion! This is child abuse!" It's like <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He's losing his mind, like being popping, like truly angry. And I'm like, "What are you even mad about?" And 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 he does this to to anything, and so it's uh the hyster- the like like the, the the hysteria around this like trans. I mean. I'm not going to lie. Look, I'm demon mama. So like, I don't mind being feared a little bit. Okay. Like, let's be real. I like that a little, but it's kind of to an unbelievable degree and you can't mm-hmm. escape it. It's everywhere. Last night I got on Twitter. And I'm like, Oh God, why is, why is the word trans trending on Twitter? And mm-hmm. I'm just like, and, and, and I'm like, Oh God, every single time it gives me a small heart attack because I'm like, yeah. what, what's, what is it now? Is it going to be like some other just uh, unbelievable, like just you would think that trans people were orcs if you listen to and just here's your motto it goes by he, it's him like it's 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 beyond by everyone it's, beyond even, and it's almost beyond parody the the amount of misstep between um like reality cool. and their idea of reality and and i mean it really does parallel like calling joe biden a a uh a, a, a chinese communist but see <laughs> that one only alex jones will say that Whereas with trans people, like any conservative online will have a meltdown about just seeing that a trans person exists and they're like, that's child abuse. And I'm like, Mm. wait, for because somebody else that you don't like exists. Like, I don't know. It is a level of it's a level of of fear and derangement that is genuinely concerning.
1: And derangement is the perfect word um, because. it's like this obsession and part of it is they're trying to use trans people as you know this political football because this is like you know that they can win over the most people by shitting on trans Americans it's it's disgusting Um, but speaking of derangement the last thing that I want to talk about before we close the show we'll try to exit before the top of the hour so um, everyone leaves at the same time. Is Marjorie Taylor Greene, now I'm very, very thankful that we have a communist on the panel, and Sam, to react to her definition of not just communism, but what she calls corporate communism.
6: Corporations are- The military industrial complex. Military industrial complex is a major issue. So I have a term for that. I call it corporate communism. Corporate communism destroys small businesses in America, and I have a very good example from my district. They destroy the small businesses, and the corporations gain all the control, and they can't be defeated. And Mm. they do the bidding of the government, like they're doing. Biden's saying, oh, the government's not gonna mandate vaccines, but the big corporations
3: are doing it. Corporate communism, they're putting the policy in place through their businesses, on their employees, and on their customers, like we've seen with the airlines.
1: that's capitalism.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's 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 the point. That's capitalism. I mean, maybe it's a sign that like that we're winning some sort of ideological war that they take all the all the terrible things about capitalism and just try to call it communism. They at least recognize that it's a unsustainable system here. Um, I used to get frustrated when Bernie did similar stuff when he's talked about yeah. corporate socialism and versus. You know, and, and I guess I know that there is kind of a kind of a history like Martin Luther King used similar terminology, but it just it, it mystifies when we don't need to. Like, yeah, we can we can point out all these things that capitalism is doing and define it as capitalism because they're deeply unpopular and nobody likes them. And by 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 trying to redefine socialism in a way, you just end up helping the right and end up helping Marjorie Taylor Greene talking points down the road. I, I don't know how to respond to something like that other than the way you guys do, and she's describing capitalism like that is- well, to be yeah, yeah, at, the, totally at this wish. point,
0: we've, we've long since reached the singularity where none of these words mean anything in the common discourse, especially yeah. to the yeah. right, right? I mean, the yeah. use of the words fascism, communism, and socialism have long since superseded any meaning and have been reduced completely and entirely to thing I don't like. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you can ever be pulled back from that point, you know? Um, it's because, like, ha- if a person's 32 years old and they vote red and they think that communism, socialism, and fascism are all when corporations allow vaccine requirements in their stores. Like, how do you, what could you ever do? to reestablish the meaning of those terms in that person's head i feel it's almost like you have to abandon them and we need to come up with a yeah. new term to describe all this you know well, mm-hmm. i mean
3: that's why i think that like a lot of the time um this is one of the things that i like i think that there's a lot of i don't want to say time wasted on trying to win over right-wing people but like uh i think that like most of the time uh, aiming for everyone who's not already an adherent of, of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates um, is, is usually a good thing because it is and I, I want people to be to understand this it is almost impossible to fish someone back from a position where they think that like where, where you' of talk where you're talking about, where the words are so diluted that they don't even have the same they're not even speaking the same language as you. They say communism and that equals in their brain, what joe biden does when he orders you know an extra egg on the cat taxpayers dime like that's what they literally mean and they take that 100 yeah. and you convince them that that's not the dictionary definition of communism yeah. or of socialism or of anything or of welfare like i mean when they think of welfare like like, when I think of welfare, I think of an arduous, obnoxious process to get pocket change from the government so that you can have food in the middle of a pandemic where you have to fill out 50 pages of paperwork in order to even do that. Um yeah and uh... and
4: don't forget by the way this is the person who had to learn that the holocaust was bad by going to the holocaust museum so maybe i don't know if she went to like marx's grave she could learn some things about theory in the interim uh if she wants to keep labeling everything as way more badass than it is like i i don't understand because every day i'm hearing how joe biden is this radical communist uh you know neo-marxist superstar the child of angles and all this kind of stuff like where where does that leave us where does that leave the left if all these
3: words have no meaning anymore i will say it does give us a small it does give us one small advantage which is that uh in when people get to that level of having their own entire lexicon um that's totally different from everybody else it's incredibly alienating um and Mm -hmm. so like obviously the people who are in are very hard to get out this is like cults right like it's like once they're in it's really really hard to get out it's damn near impossible and they rely on that they fish people in you get stuck forever and they slowly and surely accumulate but uh this applies on a bigger level like if you can if if we as like the online left or as all like the general left in america can can uh, instill a sense of just like incredulity towards this sort of nonsense, which I do think that there's been success at, by the way, I think that like, especially in streaming spaces, like people laugh about the like Joe Biden being a a Chinese communist or being a socialist. Now that's good that people laugh Mm -hmm. at that and think that's a funny thing. I think that's how you inoculate people from ever getting pulled in in the first place. And I think it's a much harder project to try. and, And I, and personally, I don't even know that if this is something that like, online content creators can even meaningfully participate in outside of just sort of chance. Um, Because like, like whether you can get people out of that far right of a thing over the internet alone. um, I don't know that that's possible. But um, we can certainly inoculate a lot of people to this idea that like that rant should be taken seriously at all. And if people watch that and they think, oh, my God, why is the why is this why is the scary looking lady and the scary looking man? Um, telling me that Walmart is a is a corporate communist Um, like then and then they just laugh and turn their brains off because it just seems like absurd boomer bait. And if we give that impression, I think that's going to be really effective at making their message fall on
2: deaf ears. I was just yeah. wondering where the whistle guy was. We needed the whistle guy. Oh, was, uh, yeah. the last event that those two were at.
1: That was so good. I love Committing auditory yes, assault on people. Oh, yeah. that was so good. Uh, okay, so we talked about doomerism for a good portion of this podcast, but I'm actually going to end on a positive note, folks. So we just watched Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I just want you to know if you're watching this and you think that you're not worthy enough or you're going to take a test and you just don't think you can do it or you're applying for a job and you don't think that you're qualified if marjorie taylor Greene can get elected to congress you can do anything anything so just keep that in mind Bro. so Louis having s- to- <laughs> Louis- go- he might be a better example to be fair he might be a better example uh, okay so folks we are at the end of the show uh, i want to leave a couple of minutes so all of our panelists can plug their projects give any shout outs to something that they're doing but yeah uh sam we'll start with you well, uh, people can catch me
2: on Means TV doing Means Morning News. Uh, we are moving to, so we're in the process of moving to Sunday. That's going to premiere at the end of the month. Uh, means.tv, subscribe, pay what you can afford, um, and catch out a lot of good stuff, including Mike's show on there. And um, I also do a podcast, District Sentinel Radio on Fridays. We've got a Patreon if you're interested in that.
1: Yeah, and this show will be on Means TV as well, so be sure to check it it out. Mods are providing you with links in the chat if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, Lance, tell the people where we can find you and uh, what you have in store for people.
4: Hi people, uh I do uh political stuff on the interwebs and uh you can find me at the just that's the website, the surfs.tv. Also, uh we've been working for about 3 months on a Gamergate documentary that I'm really excited. It's coming out very shortly and next week we'll have a collab with Amen Animations. That's the nice. uh, super super genius who did um that uh, recent Stephen Crowder horrific, amazing, horrifying, incredible piece of work. So, you know what? Don't don't go follow me, go follow Eamon Animations. Go go check out Eamon Animations on YouTube. He's fucking so based.
1: Yeah, shout out to Eamon. That was an amazing video. I literally binged every single video on his YouTube channel. Um, great, great work. Um, okay, thank you, Lance. Uh, Vosh. uh
0: Yeah, uh, my name is Vouch. I'm a Bloodborne streamer, uh, a professional, first person to beat Bloodborne. Uh, waiting on Elden Ring <laughs> right now. Yes gonna be a lot of fun uh when it comes out there's a very tall red-headed lady uh all gonna simp over that when we get there and uh yeah you can find me over at uh 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 vouch on youtube
1: all right and demon mama
3: yeah um i'm demon mama um my website is like right here it's Wait, wait, it's here. It's here. It's
1: Demonmama.com. DemonMama.com. If
3: you go to DemonMama.com, all of my links are there. Uh, I put out banger tweets on Twitter. So you should follow me on Twitter because I'm really fun. i mostly meme and cream, which is cool. Um, and then you should come <laughs> hang out and follow <laughs> Yeah, meme and cream. Yeah, hell yeah. That's what it's all that. about. That's what it's all about, okay? Uh, and then you should come over and follow my YouTube channel. I have a ton, 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 ton of videos that I put up on my YouTube channel. Um, there's some super cool ones. For example, I did a video called demon mama's spiritual deconstruction which is like a two hour long form story about the cult that i grew up in and my experiences and how that affected my politics so check that out if you want to like learn about my experiences where i'm coming from with that i also have a lot of really fun stuff on my channel as well that isn't about stuff like that please come check me out i'd love to love to have you hang out on the website and stuff so thank you so much for having me here
1: yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much. Uh, this has been so much fun. You all are incredibly entertaining and insightful, and I really, really appreciate everything that you you all brought individually. Thank you all so much. Um, so we're going to cut to the outro, and then I'll come back, read uh, comments, super chats, and all that fun stuff. Folks, thank you so much. This has been the Dystopian Times. My name is Mike Figueredo. I'll see you all next week.
0: Take care.
3: Bye.
1: Thanks for